Tom Barbelay here. Just a quick note to say that this audio interview was plagued with technical difficulties, so probably about a third of the way into the interview we decided to move to a telephone interview, thus the change in audio. Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Jay Lemon, who rewrote Darwin Bots and is currently editing the Wikipedia entry on artificial life. Jay, for people not familiar with your work, can you please give some discussion to your background and how you got interested in artificial life? Well, I think um, it probably started when I was very young and my family got the, our, our first computer. Um, my father, the only game we really had to play on it was SimEarth. And, um, well, it probably wouldn't be considered artificial life by most people's um, definition. It really got me interested in the idea of simulating... Um, life forms or planets on the computer and um, what can be done with the computer. But I didn't really do much else with artificial life. It kind of sat on the back burner. Um, there are a whole lot of great examples of what can be done with artificial life that are accessible to little kids. Um, so I didn't really do anything else with it until I found Darwin Bots, um, January 2005. And for people not familiar with DarwinBots, can you please give some background to the project? DarwinBots was created by um, Carlo, who has long since moved on to other projects. It's different from other artificial life simulators in that it's very physically based. Most other simulators are based on cellular autonomy and or they're um, things like fram sticks, which are physical creatures with different body parts. and. Um, the body parts try to move, and the creatures move. Um, Darwin's is kind of somewhere in the middle. It doesn't use cellular automata, but it is physically simulated, and they are physical spheres, and they bounce around against each other and move in their environment. And that that's how it's, it's very different physically from other simulators. Um, the, the DNA is also a little different in that it completes its entire DNA every single cycle of the program, as opposed to other simulators where the creature's DNA is an infinite loop, and it's allowed allotted a certain number of instructions to execute each cycle. There have been, at present, four different main developers. So it's very much a, a program that's been uh, programmed by committee, with each programmer working pretty much by himself at each individual section in time. Originally, Carlo came, and he created the original program, and he added some of the fundamental concepts, such as um, shots and ties and the different bots and how the DNA files work. And then a user called Purple Yoko came and for another year and a half or so tried to upkeep with bugs and develop things. And then I came and I, I worked heavily on improving the user experience, um, trying to make it a little more accessible, so make some of the concepts mesh better with each other. And then after me, Eric's come along and he's presently adding new features. And so it's very much a, a common line of developers working on it and taking the source code and trying to meld it and add their little, own little vision of it. So I think it gets the best of the different people's views of what DarwinBots and artificial life should be, but at the same time avoid some of the pitfalls of multiple people working on the same project because it's rare for more, multiple programmers to be working on it at one time. Now, you mentioned DNA briefly, and this is analogous in a number of different projects. I was looking at the site recently, and I noticed there was some discussion of junk DNA through Darwin bots. Can you talk a little bit more about the representation of DNA, this idea that it's executed from end to end per cycle, and how junk DNA fits into that? 
Well, as you say, it's um, executed from the very start to the very end. And it's very much built like a, a finite state machine with a tape that feeds in. Um, junk DNA would be things that don't actually ever cause any changes to the state machine at all. They just exist between genes or conditions or things like that. Um, be an example like an add command that's outside of a gene. The DNA would just the DNA parser will just gloss right over it. Um, it'll exist in the DNA. It'll be subject to mutations. It could happen that um, a mutation in the future causes a gene to a new gene to develop that uses this previous add command that wasn't used before. And I think personally, it's very important for junk DNA to be involved. And at least in the very early stages of life and its evolution, um, because that's where a lot of novelty will come in through this junk DNA, and then um, certain sections of the code can be turned on and off through mutations, allowing it to exist in the genome somewhere until it's ready to be activated by a future time when it's useful. Um, I think a lot of programs don't allow the random junk DNA that tends to accumulate with uh, mutations, and I think that's one of the limitations that other simulations have that um, hopefully Darren Botts has overcome. Now, you touched on it briefly, but can you uh, please give some discussion to what you've actually done with Darwin Botts? When I came to the program, most of the features were very segmented, very um, haphazard. P individual people who had new ideas, and they said, well, I want this in the simulation, and we'd add it, and um, it didn't mesh well with the other concepts. We had, like, for instance, the concept of shell, which is like a protective layer around a bot. Uh, originally, when I first came, um, shell pretty much protected you against everything except for ties and viruses. I think even actually viruses at the time. Um, and so a lot of work, what I've done, was to go through all the different features and try to do a little bit of load balancing, um, feature balance, things like that. So now shell's a little bit less powerful and other protective concepts have been increased. Um, I've worked very heavily on the DNA to make it a little bit less sensitive and fragile to completely random changes. Um, the original one wasn't very good at allowing changes in gene structure. And I've worked very hard trying to make the, the DNA work very well with um, the random mutations that mutations tend to use. Um, I've also worked very heavily on physics. Physics is probably more important to Darwin bots than it is to other simulators, uh, without, with um, exception to framsticks and simulators along that line. Um, I would say probably half of the effort I've put into Darwin bots has been into the physics and trying to get it um, bouncy and uh, stable to follow people's expectations of what they think these little spheres bouncing around should do. If the simulation follows people's expectations of what it should do, then they're more likely to run it, and the creatures are more likely to have um, time to have a processor time run, and so they're more likely to exist. So I think it's um, kind of a, the program's evolution has been to try to get more time slice from actual people using the computer. I've also done a lot of work on the GUI to make the entry-level experience for new users as um, seamless as possible. I think that the better the program runs on people's computer, the faster they can pick it up, the faster they know what's going on 
the more likely they are to stick with it, and the more likely the program is to have the organisms have a time slot to run with, and the organisms are going to have more time to run and exist. So I think that's part of the evolution of the program. It's actually how smooth it is for new users to pick it up and how likely it is to keep old users around using it. The last thing I've worked on is the sort of administrative processes, which is mostly what I'm doing anymore. Um, things like maintaining the web space and the forum, um, trying to put out the feelers to other sites to list Darwin bots. A lot of Darwin bots links are very old and linked to the original um, 2.1 application, which by uh, modern standards is quite archaic. In terms of Darwin bots, what more would you like to do with the program? Um, at the moment, I'd really like to expand it in um, pretty much three areas. The first area would be environment. Um, right now, it's a very featureless plane that they that they exist on. Um, recently, Eric's made some improvements in this area by adding shapes, which helped add a little bit of um, um, differences in walls and things like that. But um, what I think would really improve it is the concept of um, substances in the environment that the, um, the bots can't move through or that they can eat for food um, or if they um, defecate, that substance exists in the environment um, so that they're a little bit they're, they're, um, uh, existence is a little more involved in the environment. The second way is through um, a metabolism system. Right now, the metabolism that the bots use is very um, simplistic. And adding um, things like um, different substances that the bots can digest in different ways, um, like different muscle types, different fats that um, digest in different ways, and that the bots would have to make trade-offs between digesting one thing or another thing, and that would help create different species, which is the third thing I'd like to really work on, is right now the bots exist as one animal line and one plant line. And what I'd like to do is um, try to make the simulation a little bit more open to different coexisting strains of species. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the other two points I've already mentioned. I've discussed the poor state of the Wikipedia entry on artificial life in previous podcasts. Why is the Wikipedia entry important? The Wikipedia article is what um, most users, when they first hear the term artificial life, and they're like, what's that, are going to go look at. And I think it really has to, um, like that old saying, you only have like 10 seconds to impress, you really have to drive home what artificial life is at the moment, what it hopes to be, um, what it's involved with, what the different techniques it uses, um, who's involved in it, and things like that. And the, the previous um, Wikipedia article that I originally edited was very much based on what I thought the history of artificial life was, which isn't a very good way to teach someone any subject. Um, so I tried to go through and provide very much a... An, a, a so right now, it's a very blank outline. Um, that I'd hope different things could be added to in the future as more people that are more knowledgeable than I am come to it and start to... Um, expand it with their own knowledge. Um, it starts off with things like um, the different techniques used in artificial life, cellular autonomy, um, neural nets, and I hope a couple other things might be added to that, and then it um, proceeds to a list that I'm 
on Wikipedia of different articles on different simulators. And I think it's very important that people that are interested in it can quickly find a simulator that appeals to them and run it and um, get something for their time and effort. A couple of questions from that. The first is, my understanding of Wikipedia is that if you've had any input or any development component with what you're editing, you're not supposed to edit on it. Can you discuss a little bit about that methodology and how that may hinder what you're talking about with artificial life? Um, that's really an important point, I think, in, in Wikipedia, is traditionally you're not supposed to add things that um, you've personally been working on. And that's just to help um, random pages that aren't really noteworthy. But artificial life is such a very small field, and the number of people that are really interested in it is so small. I don't think you can get away with anything but um, putting down your own simulators. And then if it's removed by someone else because they don't think it's noteworthy um, or it's incomplete, then that would be a good indication that you need to go back to square one. But if it somehow survives the rigorous process of people looking at it and saying that it does belong in this list, um, I think it should probably stay. Again, it's very much related to the number of people that are interested in it. Like, personally, I wrote the DarwinBots article. Um, if I hadn't done it, I don't think anyone else would have ever done it. There just aren't enough people that are interested in DarwinBots to put it up. And if another user searching through Wikipedia finds that the article is a vanity page, that it shouldn't be noteworthy and within the Wikipedia annals, then they would remove it. Um, and then that would tell me that Darwin bots still needs work to be considered um, a realistic simulator. My second question is with regards to the idea of an accurate history of artificial life. What are your thoughts with regards to the history of artificial life and the diversity of histories that exist with regards to the discipline? Well, I think if you read uh, ten different articles on what artificial life and is and where it came from, you're going to get ten different answers and really different answers. Um, at the present, as I understand it, I think it really um, sprang out of the invention of cellular autonomy, and that they, the two really have a very shared history until very, very recently. Um, what I think needs to be done is a comprehensive interview and study of artificial life and where it came from as different influences, but in the same way that the strength of the field is that it's so segmented and there's so many different people working on it from so many different angles, it's also one of the weaknesses that there really isn't a central hub um, where people go to share ideas other than maybe the artificial life conferences. Um, I think there needs to be more concerted effort in the field to understand what other people are doing, um, share information and share history and create kind of a cohesive community. What are you looking to add in the entry on artificial life in Wikipedia? Um, I'd very much like to make it a comprehensive introduction to people that aren't familiar with artificial life. I remember when I was a little kid, I uh, saw a TV program um, where a researcher was um, using art, uh, simulated wolves and simulated sheep, and the sheep and the wolves would evolve against each other and um, exhibit a, a classic predator-prey relationship. Um, if I, when I first saw that, if I wanted to go and try to run something similar on my own, I'd pretty much have to start from square one with my own programming abilities. Um, there wasn't really any resources when I was a kid that, like any central resources that I knew about that I could go to 
and flight simulators and start experimenting with on my computer. And so I think what I'd like the Wikipedia article to be is that article that I wanted when I was a little kid, when I was first interested in things like this, that I could go and look it up and go, aha, there, here's a simulator. I can run it on my computer for a week, come back and see what's come up. It's an interesting problem, actually, because that's one of the remits that I use with biota.org as well in terms of the list of accurate simulators. The, the, the real issue is getting someone from the general public that has some interest and translating that to their perfect simulator. How difficult do you think this is in terms of a descriptive problem if all the authors of the various simulators write their own descriptions? that this may not be what a general user needs when they actually come to choose which simulator they want to look at in any particular order? Well, very much so. Um, oftentimes, the engineers aren't the greatest people to explain their inventions to other people. Um, more effort from people that are mildly interested in artificial life that aren't involved in any one single project to go through and compare the advantages of the different simulators, what they're good at and what they're bad at, and how to run them to get the most out of your time to create a cohesive listing um, that new users could go to um, to see which simulator they want to run. If they want to run something on predator-prey relationships, um, they probably don't want to run something like Framsticks, which pretty much only uses a single individual. And so I think, I think that comprehensive listing and description of each different simulator with its advantages and its disadvantages, what it's good at, its strengths and its weaknesses, is fundamental to any entry-level user figuring out the programs. It would also be beneficial for artificial life developers to have that kind of feedback as well through, through some median source. You've touched on this through the interview, but what more would you like to see with the artificial life community? I think um, one of the primary things is the community needs to become more of a community. It's very much just fragmented developers working on their own, reinventing the wheel a lot of times. Um, there are dozens of simulators that do very similar, very similar things, and I think um, if more communication was spent between different simulators, we might see some new developments that from people that don't have to spend their time developing a solution that already exists on another platform. I'd also like to see more interest in the ecosystem side of biology as opposed to the simulation of single individuals with complex DNA. I'd like to see more simulations that work with um, the simulation of simpler organisms on a grander scale, something similar to AI Planet, where you have a large ecosystem with individual um, agents that might be individually very simplistic but can interact in complex ways. Terrific, Jay. Many thanks for the opportunity to interview you. Thank you.